we're talking, we, you know, we're talking about this idea of comfort and joy, and I think that comfort and joy are different than you, than you currently experience. Comfort and joy are not what you might think they are today. We live in a culture that pursues these ideas. That we pursue comfort. We pursue happiness, right? I was just talking with my boss, uh, Kenton Bishore. He's a senior pastor of Mariners. And just recently, he was taking a guy out to lunch. And the guy got into his car and immediately starts, like, feeling around the seats in the center console. And Kenton says, what are you, what are you, what are you looking for? And he goes, your seat warmers. It's cold in here. And Ken says, uh, I don't have seat warmers. And this dude freaked out. He, like, grabbed the, no seat warmers? This is almost 2013, Kenton. Get a real car, you know? I mean, I like my buns warm. You know, I, I don't know. It radiates from here, and it warms me from this side up or something like that. He almost got out of the car because he couldn't, he couldn't be in this cold leather, you know, experience. We, we... <laughs> We, lo- we gravitate toward things that make us more comfortable. The, the bigger house, the more comfortable furniture, the next upgrade in the car, things that make us feel comfort, that shield us from this comfortable world that's out there. We, we have a tendency to pursue those things. And the same with joy. I think we confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is much bigger than that. I remember being a little kid, and my dad, my, actually both my parents, they took us to, uh, to get our picture taken. I believe it was in the mall. It, maybe you had such a traumatic experience as a child. There's a line of people waiting to have their picture taken, and here you are. And one of the kids, I have two younger brothers, is crying and not, you know, not being very helpful, not getting their stuff on right. We're sitting up on the thing, and Dad's starting to get a little impatient. He feels the pressure of the people building behind him, waiting for their pictures. And so my sweater vest, it's not going on. So he's, the, the zipper is jammed, and he's, he's just pulling at it. And I'm just like, really, we're doing this? And my brother's crying, and it's this big scene, and my dad is getting frustrated, and so he just yanks this zipper, and he zips up my face. It literally goes up my cheek. And if you look closely, I still have a scar to this day. He would be so sad that I told you that. And I don't want you to look closely, by the way. I don't. I just want you to believe I have a scar up my face. And he gave whole new meaning to the term zip your lip in that moment. You know, I mean... He, 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 it, was a, it was a devastating thing as a child. But we have this deal, at Christmas time especially, we want to seem happy. We want the Christmas picture to be shiny and nice. I know you took a hundred different photos and you chose one that had the least amount of tears and drama in the shot, right? We want to have that. It's supposed to feel happy. There's supposed to be this sense of joy at this time. And sometimes it's just not. Sometimes the, the, the circumstances get us down. Sometimes the, the family dynamics, the brokenness, it's just too much, and we, and we feel that weight of it. And sometimes we pursue comfort and, jo- and joy or happiness in the wrong ways, and we don't, really, we don't really understand how we receive true comfort and joy. There was a study done not long ago, this was in Time magazine, that said only 10% of your true joy comes from circumstances. 90% comes from here. Your DNA and your decisions, your outlook, how you interpret the meaning of the things around you in life, your view of God and life and yourself. 10% is your circumstances. 
And yet most of us spend 100% of our lives trying to improve our circumstances. So today we're going to talk just really briefly about the message of Christmas, the good news that comfort and joy is different than you think and better than you think. Christmas is about light coming in to the darkness. Look at this verse. It's in your outline and on the screen. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That God was making a way in a dark place. Do you feel like maybe this is a dark world we're living in? I mean, we talk about comfort and joy, and at the same time, there are children being killed in elementary school, right? There's just dark stuff in this world. And so what the Bible says in this prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that God was going to make a way in the dark world, and he was going to bring light and it would come in the form of this baby, this, this one that we celebrate at Christmas, generations and generations, this Jesus. And before Jesus, before we're going to get to that story, but first I want to tell you a different story. Did you know that somebody else prepared the way for Jesus? There's another, there's a story before the story. We talk about Luke chapter 2, but in Luke chapter 1, there's another guy. There's another couple. Their name is Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they are older at this time. They are older and they've never been able to have kids because she was infertile. She couldn't conceive and have a kid her whole life. And people knew it. She was well past her childbearing years. They'd never had a kid. But here's what the, here's what the Bible says. Look it on, your, on the screen. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the eyes of God, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. I don't know if you can relate at all to the idea of infertility, but I can. Hillary and I, my wife and I, tried for three years, a little bit over three years. We, we weren't able to get pregnant. And at the same time, my wife lost her mom. So she loses her, her own mom. And then she can't become a mom for three years, three Christmases like that. Every month after month, bad news, bad news, bad news. It's hard to find comfort and joy in circumstances like that. But what we see here was despite the circumstances, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they still found favor in God's eyes. They, there was something about it for them for them, they, their joy, their comfort was a beyond the circumstances, and they, they honored God in somehow still finding their hope in him. Despite infertility, despite the pain, despite loss, despite the death of a loved one, despite unemployment, despite all those things that were going on, these two, they still put their hope in God, not on these circumstances. And God came through for them in this way. He gave them a child when they were too old to have their own kids. He made, it, he made a way. Look at what this verse says. He t- there, he's talking about John the Baptist, and it says, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. This child that I'm giving you, the angel told Zechariah and Elizabeth, this child that I'm giving you will, will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts 
the hearts of fathers toward their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. In other words, I am going to sin, I'm going to give you, I'm going to do this miracle, I'm going to give you this child, and this child is to prepare the way for the next child. This child is to prepare the way for Jesus. And so I want you to just sit and consider, before we sing a little bit more and before I come back up, this reality right here, that God is still preparing the way for you today. He is still preparing the way for you to encounter Jesus today. He is still, he is still working things out. He, he has brought you here for a reason. It's not an accident that you're here. Maybe, maybe you have a grandparent that's been praying for you for years. Maybe your parents talk to you about Jesus and Christmas. Maybe this is old news, but maybe you've never really understood it in a personal way. Maybe despite infertility in your life, maybe despite the loss of a loved one, crazy disappointment, maybe it's abuse, abandonment, maybe despite those circumstances, God is preparing a way for you to encounter him this Christmas because he still pursues us. He is still making a way today. Spirit 
God does a miracle. John the Baptist is born six months ahead of Jesus. He prepares the way for the coming of this Jesus that we sing about. And then the story goes that an angel appears to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, he says, and you will give him the name Jesus. And Mary asked, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin question, right? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. Some of you just needed to hear that this morning. That nothing is impossible with God. It could be infertility. It could be death and loss. It could be the circumstances just piling up heavy and dark. Nothing is impossible with God even if the circumstances themselves don't change, he'll make a way and you can still have comfort and joy in the midst of circumstances. It was not ideal circumstances that Jesus was born into. What an incredible sacrifice he made, not just coming and dying on a cross, right? Just to come as God and limit himself to human skin, The sacrifice began with the first time his lungs breathed in oxygen. That was the beginning of sacrifice. It was not comfortable for him to be born in a barn. And yet, 
He comes. Let's read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken from the entire Roman world. Rome was the superpower of that day. They, they owned most of the known world. They were an oppressive government that just took over land after land, area after area, king after king. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Talk about un comfortable. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, understandably so, when a whole lot of angels show up in the middle of the night. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the one who's been prophesied about. He's the one you've been waiting for, and he's been born. God has paved the way. God has made a way. He's used other people in your story like he did in this story, and he's made a way for the coming of this Jesus. And he came in an unexpected way. He came in a manger. He came as a baby, not as the conquering king on a horse with a spear like they probably anticipated to overthrow this Roman government. He came as a child in a manger, light coming in darkness. He came simply and quietly like that. And the good news is this. The, the angel says there is good news, and God has good news for us today as well. Look at how he starts. He says, don't be afraid. I think the message is the same for you. Don't be afraid. Some of you that are sitting in church for the first time all year, don't be afraid. You belong here. You're not too far gone. You haven't done too much bad stuff. You belong here. You don't have to be afraid that God is going to punish you or he's just waiting to get you for the stuff that you've done or because you've been ignoring him. The good news starts with this message. Don't be afraid. The gods aren't angry. Our God is a God of love who would come in the form of a child, a vulnerable child, to show you how much he loves you. Don't be afraid. It's good news that he brings. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's not bad news, sorry, you, you've been too bad. You, you, did, you did just one too many bad things in your life. Sorry, it's, it's hell for you. No, it's good news. That if you would believe in this Jesus, you too, you can start a relationship with him. That Jesus has come, the Savior, the Messiah of all mankind, the one that people have been waiting for. He's come. And he's come to make a way for you to have relationship with your creator the way that it was designed, the way it was meant to be for you. He comes and he brings good news. And this good news produces joy, real joy. Despite the uncomfortable circumstances, despite the pain and the disappointment, 
know, week after week or month after month or year after year that the circumstances aren't changing, there's joy in the midst of that for you. This good news brings joy for you. And it says, for all people, not just Christians, not just people with gold stars on their chart, not just the ones who went to church when they were younger, not just the ones who haven't committed the big sins, good news for everyone, that everyone can be forgiven, that this God came accessible to all. That is the good news, that he came, Jesus came to save humanity forever. Look at this next verse in John 13, or 3.17. It says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. I know some of you still feel guilty. I know that there's stuff that you've done or stuff from your past that you don't talk about. Maybe you've never told anybody. God knows. And God doesn't want to hold it against you. He comes and says, you don't have to be guilty. I want a relationship with you. The good news is that all can be forgiven. All can be forgiven. He did not come to judge the world guilty, but to save the world, all of us, you, me. And John 1.12 says, but whoever did, whoever did trust this Jesus, whoever wanted him, wanted this relationship, and who believed that he was who he claimed and would do what he said he would do, that you would be made your true self, your true child of God self. The story about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, being born as a child, Jesus then six months later being conceived in Mary miraculously and, and, and coming and saving this world, God in skin, that happened so that you could know your true identity as a child of God. That is how you were designed. That is what he had in mind for you from the very beginning. That is what he wants to say to you today. You are a child of God. Some of you have heard that. You know that from long ago, but you need to experience it brand new this Christmas. Some of you are hearing that for the very first time, and it might seem weird or foreign or different, but it's true. You were designed to be a child of God, whether you know it or not. And he came, Jesus came, we celebrate Christmas because he was making that connection, that relationship possible once again. And I don't want you to miss it. Because I know that you are here for a reason. And he's been using other people to prepare and pave this way for you to be here, for you to hear from him, for you to know that he desires to have you as a child of God again. That that is what he wants. That was his design. Don't miss it. I grew up in a family. My dad worked for an organization called Young Life. And he oversaw the Western United States. And so there were Young Life clubs meeting at high schools all over the place. And he would just pop in on them sometimes and visit them and encourage and train the leaders and such. On this one particular evening, it was, I believe, like the, at the end of May. And we went. He took me along with him. I, pro- I, was a young, I was young at that time. And he wanted to go and support this particular Young Life leader, middle-aged. She'd been faithful with this group of high school students for four years. 
Since these kids were freshmen, she had just worked with them and been with them and built relationship with them year after year. And now they're seniors and they're about to graduate. And so this is their final Young Life Club gathering together. And she wanted it to be special. So she learned three chords on the guitar. And she wrote a song dedicated to these students who she'd been working with, loving on, showing up at their school, going to practices and games, wanting them to know that they too are a child of God. And so she shows up and and the club goes on and they have their fun and she gets up at the end and I can tell as a kid that she is nervous. She's sweating profusely. She sits on on a stool like this and she grabs somebody else's guitar who she's been learning on and she starts to play and she messes up immediately and gets flustered and starts over again. And she puts her her lines, her lyrics of this little simple song that she wrote on top of the guitar so she can read it in case she forgets. And she starts into it. Now bear in mind that this crowd, it's, it's, it's a rough looking crowd of high school students. There's a lot of metal in faces in this crowd. I mean, good kids, they looked a little scary to a 10 year old. And my dad is nervous because this is a middle-aged woman that's that's not impressing anybody with her stature or delivery in this moment. And so my dad goes from sitting next to me to kind of creeping up around the side, thinking that if this goes bad, he might have to bail her out. And so she is playing her song, and the, and the further she goes into her song, the worse it gets. Her voice starts to screech, and she's trembling, and she's sweating all over herself. And it's bad. Even I know it's bad at that young age. And my dad is just kind of like perched and ready to dive across, save this woman in case vegetables start coming out or something terrible happens to this poor woman. And so she's going and she, she gets to the last part of her song. And even in my mind, I'm like, dear God, please let this be over soon. And she hits the last chord and she sings the last little part of the verse And I kind of hold my breath, and I look at my dad, and then the whole room erupts in applause. I didn't know. I didn't get it at the time. But they loved this woman. She had shown up for their games and their practices. She had been involved in their life because she wanted them to know that they were loved children of God. And so that whole place of crazy kids just went nuts And the the seniors that she had been loving on for four years that she sang that song about, they rushed her and grabbed her and picked her up. And I saw them crying. Everyone was crying. It was this special moment. And on the car ride home afterwards, my dad says to me, did you see what just happened? And I go, yeah, that was weird. He goes, that was a a really bad song, wasn't it? I was like, that was awful. (laughs) And then he goes, but you know what? I almost missed Jesus. I almost missed Jesus. Because the program wasn't perfect, the performance wasn't great, her vocal cords were awful, and her lyrics didn't make any sense. And so we almost missed Jesus. Because Jesus was there. Jesus was speaking to those kids, despite the lack of perfection on stage, through the love, through her love telling them, whispering to them that those kids were loved. And that's what I say to you today, that you are a loved child of God. And I don't want you to miss them. 
I don't want you to miss them. For all the ways that we pursue comfort and joy on our own, for all the ways that we try to find our own solutions in life, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, try to make our own way, God has been preparing a way for you to meet him, to finally, to get it, that you were created to be a child of God. That is the good news, that all is forgiven. Just believe and receive him. And I want to give you a moment to do that. Maybe, maybe you just need to not miss him this Christmas because life is chaotic and hard and depressing and frustrating. And you need to make sure that you don't miss him today. Others of you, maybe you, you've been missing him all along. And maybe he's finally got your attention. I want you to just pray and invite you to just talk to God. God, so we're grateful. We're grateful that you would choose to come as a vulnerable child, that that's what Christmas is about, and that you brought good news with you. And Lord, you still bring good news today to me that you don't hold against me all the mess-ups of my past, my rebellion against you, that you forgive me, that you forgive each one of us, and you say, you're my child. That's why I went to all this effort to let you know that you're my child. And so I know that a few of my friends might be just trusting you for the first time. And if that's you, you would just say, God, I believe. I believe that you are who you say you are, and I want to be a child of God.